Well, we are uh, going to uh, have a little bit different of a Bible study today. So you want to have your outline and uh, a pen ready. Uh, typically, um, uh, we, we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the, a Bible. And, uh, but we're going to do something a little bit different today. Before we do, it's, it's important also because this is the first Sunday of the new year that we have our annual church business meeting where we actually vote. And so uh, the first Sunday of every year, we have one thing that we vote on, and whether you are a member of Calvary or not, you can still participate in the vote because your vote matters. So here is the vote. Today is January 1st, and it is Sunday. Tomorrow is Monday. So the question is, do, do we start our diet today, <laughs> or do we start our diet tomorrow because it's Monday giving us one more day? So, so well, well let's, let's find out. So for those of you who say, we start today, it's not looking good. <laughs> those of you who say, we start tomorrow, there it is. <laughs> one more day. <laughs> All righty. Well, um, hopefully you have your outline ready. Again, uh, we put all of the verses today on our, on our outline. You know, at Calvary, one of the things that we do, as I said a moment ago, is we teach chapter by chapter, verse by verse through books of the Bible. We have been working our way through the book of Colossians, and we have a couple more weeks of that, and we'll come back to that next week. And then after that, we're going to be jumping into the Gospel of Matthew, which I'm very excited about. I've never taught that, and, uh, but, it, but it's such a wonderful book. So that's going to be a great time. You'll want to be here and, and be part of that. But um, that's one of the things that we do, and I think that's part of our unique calling as a church to teach the Bible in, in the way that we do that. As we do that, one of the things that we've discovered is that we live in a very unique time. The Bible talks about what's called the last days or the end times. And uh, you'll find that there are uh, many people who are saying that 2017 is going to be this most amazing year, things are going to be great and, and, and wonder, wonderful. And uh, I have to tell you that, that I'm not as optimistic uh, how things are going to go in, in the future. And uh, in that, you know, because as I, as I read the Bible, what I don't see is the verse that says it gets better and better. And, uh, and, and yet, so, so what do we do in, in this unique time in which we live? There are those who would say, well, we just, we just wait for Jesus to come back and you know, just kind of hunker down. Some would say we build a bunker and wait for Jesus to come back and just kind of survive the blast kind of thing. Well, one of the things that for me personally and for us as a church that we always come back to is, is this great parable that Jesus gives, and it's called the parable of the talents. And he, he, says, he says, you know, that the master gives this one so many and this one so many, and then he says, now, now you, you go and then I come back and then we'll evaluate. And, and I love how that goes because it's talking about Jesus as he goes away and then he comes back. But the instructions that he gives, I put there on your outline, if you were to read it from the King James Version, he would say, occupy till I come. That is, you keep going. Uh, another translation, the New King James would say, do business till I come. And the idea is that for you and I as believers, regardless of what happens in the world around us, we are to continue going forward, being about the Lord's business until he comes. Now, we also believe that regardless of whatever happens in the world, that God always has a heart for his people. So you'll see verses like this there in uh, the Old Testament in Psalms on your outline. It says, the Lord be magnified who delights in the prosperity of his servant. 
Now, I love that because, you know, in life, there's going to be times of difficulty. Uh, There could be times of persecution in the future, but God still has a heart for his people, and he delights to see his people doing good. He delights in seeing his people uh, continuing to flourish and, and, and even to prosper. And John, uh, John the Apostle, he wrote to a church that was going through persecution, and here's what he said to a church that's going through persecution. He said, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. So even in a time of difficulty, he was saying, I, I, I pray that that takes place in your life, that you do well. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 23. We're all familiar with this familiar with it. Many of us have memorized it, but I love the verse, verse 5, where David speaks about the Lord, and he says, you know, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So even in times of difficulty, God has a way of stepping in on behalf of his people, supplying their need, making them effective, and helping them to accomplish his purpose in whatever the environment may be. So I thought that today, again, doing something a little bit different, uh, that we would just look at some thoughts for what we might call an effective year, 2017, whatever may happen, whether it's a great year or whether it's a, it's a difficult year. So today as I, as I share, I'm going to share a little bit on the personal side, kind of what we do as a family, and then also what we do as a church, and hopefully some things that, that might be for us as a congregation to evaluate as, as individuals. So each year when we come to a new year, Cheryl and I begin to evaluate how we're doing in certain things. We begin to ask us, how are we doing as far as occupying until he comes? And so again, I wanted to take a few minutes to just share a little bit about what that looks like today. Because if, if you're like me, I, I don't want to get to the end of my life and, and realize that I've missed it. I focused in on the wrong things. And uh, we know that, that many times people can get to the end of their lives and as they look back, there's just so much regret. And that's not really what God wants for any of us. So, so what do we do? And um, we, we as a family realized that, that uh, for both Cheryl and I, we didn't grow up in a church that taught on these things. And we didn't grow up in a family that really emphasized some of the things that we're going to talk about today. So these are things that we've had to learn through the years. So some of the things that we've had to learn through the years. Uh, go ahead and write this down. This might seem so basic, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see why it's important. We need to, first of all, decide what's really important. Decide what's really important. We call those priorities. In our family, we call these the big rocks, and you've heard us talk about that. As a matter of fact, if you were to come over to our house, you would see on our dining room table, there's this jar. And this jar is filled with what we call the big rocks. And the big rocks are the things that are the most important. These are the priorities. And what we've realized in our life, and again, this is just a constant reminder for us. It's probably not the most ornate thing, but it is a constant reminder that we always want to focus in on the big things. And what we've learned in life is that we have to decide what the big things are, the priorities, and we realize that we have to put those things in first. If we don't put those things in first, we'll never get them in. So each year we evaluate and we say, what are the big rocks in our life? What are the priorities? What are the most important things? We, um, Cheryl and I both come from, from homes that, that, um, that, are, that are broken, and both of us have parents who've been married multiple times. And so when we came together and, and to be married, we knew how not 
to do marriage. And, uh, and so we didn't want that to, to be our testimony and how it worked out. So we decided at the very beginning that we wanted one of our big rocks, one of our priorities to be, would be our marriage. And so we've had to make some decisions along the way in order that, that we would be able to ensure that, that we continue to have a very strong marriage. One of the things that we did, this is for us, it's not for you, but early on we just made the decision that we would never have television in our home. So uh, if you were to go to our house, we have a TV, but we don't have any channels. And so for 20 years, we've never watched television together, but every night that means that, and it's been this way for 20 years, we sit down and we talk with one another. And uh, so that has built over the years a very strong relationship. We realized that we could not build a relationship sitting side by side looking at something. We needed to build our relationship in front of each other, looking at each other and talking to one another. But that was an intentional decision that we made based upon deciding that our marriage would be one of the big rocks in our life. Does that make sense? There in your outline, it says, I may do anything, but everything is not useful. Yes, I may do anything, but everything is not constructive. So in our life, the big rocks are the things that are most important. And that's a very intentional decision. So we want to focus our attention and our, and our lives on what's most important. So again, we had to make a decision what was going to be most important. Sadly, many people, even believers, never get to the place where they've decided what is most important in their life. And uh, so there on your outline, there's another verse from Proverbs, and it says, he who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who pursues vain things, now underline that word vain things, lacks sense. The word vain there just means useless. Vain things are the things that really won't help us. Uh, Tilling your land is something that will help you. Pursuing things that don't matter, it's just vain things. And so one statistic that influenced us as we were getting married was that the average, in the average home, the average home has a television on for uh, about seven and a half hours a day. And that's one of those things that, that really, you can watch television for seven hours a day, but in five years, that doesn't really take you anywhere. So we had just made that decision early on that, that we wouldn't do that. And so that's just you know, one of the things. And so, um, so uh, if we don't decide what the big things are in our life and we set priorities, we'll tend to go to the things that are, for the most part, things that won't help us. They're, they're the vain things in life. So... It's, it's been said that, that for many people, because they've never decided what the, the big things are in their life, the important things, they're like the person who gets in a boat, heads out of Jupiter Inlet, hits full throttle on the boat, and as they're going out of the inlet, they take the steering wheel and toss it overboard. So they go out a little bit, a wave hits them this way, they go this way a little bit, another wave hits them, they bounce back this way, another wave hits them, bounce back, and we would look on and we'd say, you're going nowhere fast. And the reason being is you've taken the one mechanism that will help you get to the right destination and you've tossed it overboard. As we begin 2017, one of the most important things that we can do is to evaluate our lives and make a conscious decision. This is the most important thing. This is the most important thing. Now, um, as we do that, as we reassess in our family our big rocks, once we've established that, then Cheryl and I begin to plan the year in advance. So here's what we do, and I want you to go ahead and write this down. Then we make plans according to priorities. 
what we've learned in our family is that if we don't plan it first, if we don't decide this is what we're going to do here and when, everything else seems to crowd in. And we find ourselves shooting from the hip. And that's a very frustrating thing to do. So we, we plan. When you plan, that's planning for success. One of the things in, in our family, we made the decision. We read an article when, when our kids were very small. I grew up camping. Cheryl grew up at the country club. And so uh, we, I said, we're going to camp. And she says, we'll go camping, but it's going to have air conditioning and a bathroom. So we've always, we've always had a camper, but we go camping. We read an article early on, and somebody did this evaluation of 2,000 families. I couldn't find the article today if my life depended on it. And they, they, they evaluated all of these families, and they said, what was the one common denominator? And they couldn't find one common denominator of these families that were still very close. But one of the things they noticed is that a lot of them went camping together. So we said, we're going we're gonna to go camping together. What we've learned in our life, if we don't start at the beginning of the year and plan those times when we do that, they just don't happen. Now, if you come from a church background and maybe a family background that, that I come from, the church background that I, I grew up in would, would very much they'd say things like, you know, I don't like to set goals and I don't like to plan. I, it just seems so unspiritual. I want to go with the flow and let the spirit lead. And, and, uh, I, you know, and, and I get that. But, but if you were to go and, and on a two-hour picnic, wouldn't you agree that before you would go on a two-hour picnic, you would have a plan for what you were going to do? You, you'd plan where you're going to go, and you'd plan what you're going to take, and you'd make sure you had it all in there before you began the journey, and you would think through some of the details, salt, pepper, bread, wh- whatever it may be. If you would plan a two-hour picnic, how much more important is it to plan through the one life that God has given us. And yet for many people, because we've never established the big things and we don't plan, we we spend more time planning a two-hour picnic than we do thinking through how our life is to turn out. So I want to encourage you to think that through as we go. Let me give you three good reasons why you should begin planning. First reason, because God plans. I want you to underline the word plans in, in, uh, in this verse. For I know God is speaking. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. I love that, that God says three times that he has plans. If God plans, it's okay for you to plan. But then go ahead and write down God commands. God commands. In uh, Proverbs 16, it says, we should make plans counting on God to direct us. So we make plans. We ask the Lord to, to help us make the plans. And uh, sometimes those plans don't work out, and that's okay. We let the Lord lead. But we make plans counting on God to direct us. Then in the Phillips translation, it would say, plan carefully what you do, and whatever you do will turn out right. And then C, it's just the wise thing to do. It's just the wise thing to do. I love this verse. Paul says, live life then with a due sense of responsibility, not as men who do not know the meaning of life, but as those who do, underline, make the best use of your time. Don't be vague, but grasp firmly what you know to be the will of the Lord. There's something about planning your life and living effectively for the Lord. Imagine um, you were going to add on a room to your house, and so you had a couple of contractors come over and and uh, you like this one contractor, you like the price, and you, you settle on this one contractor. And uh, you say to the contractor, well, when can you start? And he says, well, I can start tomorrow. You say, wow, that's, that's pretty fast. So the next morning you see the contractor and he shows up and he has all this material. 
and he's unloading all the material on your front yard, and you say, so, so let, me, let me see your plan how this is going to work. And he says, you know, I, I, I kind of just keep it all up in here. I don't, I don't really have a plan that I work from. It's kind of, you know, it's, it's all up here. and just kind of works out. You say, well, what's the first thing that you do? What's the, what's the second thing that you do? And if that contractor were to say, well, you know, in the morning I like to saw a little bit and sometimes I like to hammer a little bit. And, you know, when it's cooler, I like to pour concrete and, you know, do this a little bit and do that. Would you be a little concerned? So let me ask you this. Would you fire that contractor? That's where you say yes like you mean it. Absolutely. Now, if you wouldn't build, if you wouldn't build a room on your house without a very solid plan, then why would we go through life, this one life that we have? You know, the house is going to burn down, it's going to be torn down, something's going to happen, it's going to be sold, whatever. But we have one life you want to think through, you want to plan. Does that make sense? So in our home every year, we, we sit down and we say, what are the big rocks? Sometimes the, the things that we focus in on, those could change through, through, uh, through life. We might find that now this is really a big rock and it's certainly something that, that we develop. And then we began to plan the rest of the year and plan our lives. Where do we want to be in five years and 10 years? And what does this look like? But then for Cheryl and I, we live by this paradigm that we call the wheel of life. And uh, I have this very professionally made graphic. And we call this the wheel of life. Now, the wheel of life, the wheel, and then you have the spokes. Everybody see the spokes? So we'll talk about that, those spokes. So we begin talking about those spokes in our life. And I want to give us today, uh, there on your outline, uh, there's a verse that is, uh, um, Paul says this in Ephesians. He says, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in, and I want you to underline all aspects, all aspects, into him who is the head, even Christ. You know, as, as a a parent, God wants us to grow up in all aspects, all aspects. And uh, if you're a parent, you know this to be true. So for instance, let's say you have a child that gets all A's. They always get A's, 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 A's. But you walk by their room and it smells like there's a dead body decomposing in there. And you want to put, you look in there, there's clothes everywhere, there's dishes, there's plates, and uh, you, know, you want to put a biohazard sign on the door. Now, am I the only person who's ever had this experience? I am the only person, aren't I? So, so you would say to your child, you'd say, listen, you need, you need to clean, you need to do something here, we've we got to get this. And, and if they were to say, well, you know what, um, you know, I get all A's. Isn't that enough? I mean, I'm not doing drugs. I'm not doing this, you know, and I get all A's. Isn't that enough? You would say, well, that's good. I'm glad that you get all A's. But the truth is one day you're going to grow up and you're going to have to live with somebody. Somebody's going to marry you. And, and uh, well, at least we hope. And, and so, <laughs> but, but you're going to have, you know, and if, you, if this is a disaster here, we, we want you to grow up in this aspect. So although we're thrilled with this aspect over here, if there's this glaring deficiency, we want our children to grow up in all aspects. That makes sense? So, so let me give you the six spokes of life that you want to think through and evaluate. And I'll share a couple of personal things that, as we evaluate. So first of all, uh, we'll call the first spoke, we'll call that the spiritual, the spiritual. Now the spiritual, understand, permeates every other aspect. We're starting with that one and it encompasses all of them. But um, 
And, and I think the best place to start is what Jesus said in Mark 8. He says there in your outline, he says, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So I, I think you'd agree that if you do gain the whole world, but you lose your soul, you've lost everything. You've lost everything. So you want to settle that. You want to know that you've accepted his free gift of salvation, that, that your sins are forgiven, and that you're in right relationship with your heavenly father. And uh, so you want to do that. And then you think about, is there a plan to grow spiritually? Do I have a plan to grow spiritually? I, I want to be walking with the Lord a little bit closer next year than I am this year. One of, one of the things, just because this is a new year, every one of us have been hurt by somebody. And some people have really hurt us deeply. And they were wrong. And they meant to hurt us. And, uh, but the thing is, with them, after they hurt us, they went and they just lived their lives. But we carried around this deep bitterness, this hurt, and it's a weight. And uh, I, I would want to suggest that one of the best things that we can do as we begin this new year, there on your outline, uh, Paul would say it like this, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. One of the best things that you can do to grow spiritually is to make the decision that you're going to give forgiveness. I want to tell you why you want to give forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't for them. I mean, it is and, and, and it's not. It's, it's not so much for them because for the most part, they just went on with their lives and they're just doing what they do. You're the one carrying the weight. When you give forgiveness, you release that. You release that. Forgiveness is a decision and it's a process. I can give forgiveness and 10 minutes later I'm driving down the road and I'm fighting with them in my head. Am I the only person who's ever done that? (laughs) And so it's a continuous decision. I wish it was just that one time instantaneous thing and it was done. But it's a process. I forgive them. I let it go. I'm not seeking revenge. Lord, they're, they're in your hand. Let me take it one step further. Because you forgive somebody doesn't mean you have to now trust them. Forgiveness and trust are two different things. So forgiveness and then use wisdom. So is there a plan that you have that you say, I want to grow spiritually this year? What what would that plan be? Would it be in the Word? Would it be taking your prayer life a little bit further? And, And so think that through. Think that through. And that will encompass every area of your life. Well, the next one the next spoke in our, in our wheel of life is relationships. The verse that, um, that is, is a, I guess you'd say a life verse for me, husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and he gave himself up for it. You know, all I have to do is love Cheryl just the way that, that, that uh, Jesus loved the church and we're good. And that's, that's my calling. That's, that's what I want to do. And so there's nothing that Jesus wouldn't do for the church. There's nothing that he held back in the church. And that's how I want to be a husband to my wife. And I have one life and one wife, and that's how I want to live it. I want to be honoring to the Lord. And here's how he says, this is how you live it out. Cheryl and I have a goal in our marriage. And one of the, that, that goal is that when the kids are gone, that that we will still be in love with one another, that we'll still want to hang out and be with one another. We've seen through the years so many people who get so focused in on the kids. And as you know, we have 12, 11 of them are at home. You can get focused in on the kids. And if we're not careful, we can be like just passing each other in the hallway. 
But we want to live our lives in such a way and be intentional so that when the kids move out, we still have a relationship. We're still in love with one another. That's one of our goals. So we think through that. We've also come to realize that the greatest gift that you can give to your children is a rock-solid marriage. We all know intuitively that when parents separate, there is a fracturing in the foundation of our children and their their self-concept very, very deeply. The most greatest gift you can give your children is a rock-solid marriage. But it doesn't happen by accident. It happens through intentionality. So we have to think that through. One of the goals that we have for our children as they grow up and how we parent, we want our kids, when they grow up and they don't have to hang out with us, we want to parent in such a way that they'll want to come back and and hang out with us. Isn't that a great thing? And so we want that. We want that. So we think through that. There's a couple of verses that that we live in this tension. There's this tension and balance. And uh, the first one is train up a child in the way that he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Well, that's in Proverbs. It's a principle. It's not a, a complete law. But generally speaking, if you train up a child in the way that they should go, even when he's old, they will not depart from it. And so you have that. Some people focus in on the training, 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 and they never let up. They never let up. Uh, there's another side to that. You always want to take scripture and balance. So Paul would say this, fathers, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart. And that what we've seen, and, and what we've seen is that some people will so focus in on training, 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 that it just exasperates their children. And uh, so we're trying in our family, as we have those who are teenagers and they're going to college and we have four-year-olds and, uh, you know, who've just come out of potty training, how do you balance it all and how do you let them go and grow and learn? So uh, again, um, one of our goals is that when our kids grow up, that they would would want to come hang out with us. But we we live in that tension and we're, we're still working on that. There's a, if I can just go one step further, as you know, I'm in the parenting stage of my life, so I'll probably talk about that until I get into the grandparenting stage, and then I'll talk about that. One of the things that we've learned in our life is that parenting is not like a Rubik's Cube. You know, with a Rubik's Cube, one small misstep, and it's undone. It's completely undone. But that's not how parenting is. Uh, the truth is, in parenting, you might make a lot of mistakes and God can still get your children where he wants them to be. If you were to look at Cheryl's life and, and my life, many of you know when I was 13 I moved out, and I moved in with another family, and they essentially became my family and still are my family today. And Cheryl's parents were divorced, and she had a terrible step-parenting experience and lots of mayhem. But if you were to look at our early lives and all the mistakes in parenting that were made, you wouldn't look at us and say, you guys are probably going to you know, go and start a church one day. It, our, the, the, it, it wasn't the Rubik's Cube parenting. And uh, so I want to encourage you as you parent, find that balance between training up your child and not exasperating them and trusting the Holy Spirit that just as he worked in your life, He's working in their life, and you're probably going to make some mistakes along the way, and uh, God's going to use those mistakes in, uh, in their life. Now, don't make big mistakes because they'll stand in front of congregations and tell everybody the big mistakes you made, so you don't want to do that. But think it through. Think it through. And uh, how do you want that to all turn out? Because here's what I can tell you. Parenting has to be intentional with a lot of grace and faith. 
So, so think that through. Then another spoke is just simply the intellectual. The intellectual. One of the verses that I always come back to in Ecclesiastes, it just says, if the axe is dull and he does not sharpen its edge, then he must exert more strength. Wisdom has the advantage of giving success. You want to sharpen, sharpen the axe. You want to be, uh, become as sharp as you can. I, I love one of the things that we, we often miss on Paul as we travel through, but, but Paul says something to Timothy, and he says, when you come, bring the cloak, which I left at Troas, which would be a coat, with carpus and the books, especially the parchments. Parchments is typically a reference to the scriptures. But one of the things about Paul is he was a reader of books. And uh, he wanted to have his books because he wanted to keep reading. How it works out in my life, how it works out in my life is different than how it works out in your life. My point is you want to think through intellectual development. Years ago, somebody taught me the discipline of reading one book a week, one book a week. And uh, that has so changed my life. So every year, my goal is to read 50 books a year. And I start with a Word document, and I write down the book, the first book, the second book, the third book, and I, I keep a score of how I'm, I'm doing. And I try to read in certain areas. I read in parenting, I read in business, I read in leadership, I read a lot of theology, a lot of church leadership. Uh, I, I want to continually grow in, in what it is that I'm doing. I read in marriage and, and just whatever it is that will help me to get better. I have a friend of mine, he reads two books a week, and he makes uh, a lot of money. But then I have another friend, and he's very smart. He reads one book a day. He's a millionaire many times over. So I'm not there, and I'm not that committed. But for me, there's just a balance between reading one book a week. I just put that in my time. It's one of my big rocks. And so if, if a lot of things don't get done, that gets done. That gets done. So there's the intellectual. Then there's the physical. Go ahead and write that down. Now, did you notice that I didn't put any verses there? I didn't put any verses there because I don't really want to talk about it today because I really don't want to feel convicted. <laughs> so uh, we'll talk about that after the new year. We'll find a place and we can toss in a few verses, but we're not starting till tomorrow anyways. So, uh, but, 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 but one of the things that I would like is that I, I want to live a long time and hopefully I want everything to work you know, until, until Jesus calls me home in my sleep or standing up here preaching. That would be kind of good. It'd be an awkward close of a service, but it's a, it's a good way to go. So, but that's certainly a spoke, you know, and, and uh, I can tell you for those of you who are moving up in years that there used to be a time when uh, we had to actually do something to hurt and uh, I see heads already nodding. Now what we have to do is just get up in the morning and we hurt. And so what do you do to, to offset that? What do you do that to keep active your whole life? And then I wanted to talk about another spoke and this is the career spoke, very important. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. You know, um, one, one of the things that hits me, I, I read from a, a guy, his name is Josh Tolley, and he, he's sort of a, an a economist, he's a Christian, and, and uh, he, he makes some very compelling points about how you and I live in a very changing world. It was a hundred years ago where cars were just coming on the scene. And when cars came on the scene, what that did is it put a whole industry of blacksmiths out of business. But that wasn't a problem because all those blacksmiths who went out of business, they just simply became car mechanics. 
And that went on for about 100 years. For those of you old enough to remember, it was about 1990, we would go outside and the garbage truck would come by and there were always three people on the truck. And then one day, somebody invented that thing that comes down and picks up the big things and all of a sudden you notice that there are two people on the truck. And what many of us missed is one third of an entire industry was laid off, but there was no new industry for them to go to. We all saw how in in some states the the call was for a $15 an hour minimum wage. And that seemed like a good idea, but here's what took place. In those fast food restaurants, they just simply went out and bought a touchscreen computer. So now they don't have to actually have that person. Uh, The touchscreen computer never misses a shift. It never takes a break. And you don't have to pay workman's comp insurance on it. So those for, to get that, they just simply changed and went to a computerized system. Well, there was no new industry coming about for those people to go to. Uh, we remember it used to be several, just a few years ago, when you went to any store, you had to go through the cashier. But now it's becoming more convenient to go through the self-checkout. Well, what we don't see is that there are cashiers who are being laid off, but there's no new industry coming in for them to go to. It used to be when you had a problem with your credit card and you called customer service, you spoke to somebody, they spoke, they spoke English, but you knew they were on the other side of the planet. Now with technology, what we find is that they have voice recognition technology that will speak to you in your own accent, in your own language, and they can, they can recognize that. So what that has done is in some countries it has laid off tens of thousands of people. So when you think of your career, you want to think about where is this career going? Is this a career that in two years, four years, five years is going to be replaced by artificial intelligence? Is it going to be replaced by a computer? Uh, How is that going to go? And you want to think that through before it takes place. Does that make sense? Notice this verse there on your outline, and it just simply says, the wise man looks ahead, but the fool attempts to fool himself and won't face facts. You don't want to consider where this industry is going uh, on the day that you get your pink slip. You, You want to know well in advance so that you can prepare. Is this changing? What do I need to do now to make sure that I'm prepared for then? And then there's the financial aspect. Go ahead and write that down. Great verse from Isaiah 48 says, I am the Lord who teaches you to profit. And uh, there there has to be that financial aspect of each and every one of our lives. We have to be able to to provide for our families. So a few moments ago, I held up this incredible piece of artwork here. And I said, this is our wheel of life. And what we want to have is you'll agree that the spokes have to be pretty much in balance Because if they're not in balance, you're going to find that it's going to be a very bumpy ride down the road of life. Does that make sense? So here's what we find for for many people, and this is very sad, is that what we've done in many of our cases, we've so developed certain aspects of our life. And what we haven't done is we haven't focused in on some of the other aspects, the big rock. And what we're experiencing is a very bumpy ride down the road of life. So let's, let's just consider, let's say that here's the person who's done very well. They're, they're uh, financially doing very well, CEO, doing great, but they've just lost their third marriage. And uh, we would say they've developed one side, but they haven't developed the other side. 
And uh, so that leads to a very bumpy ride down the road of life. Somebody thought about one side but didn't think about the other side, but that side is there. Another person does very well financially. They gave all of their time at work, but now uh, they, they die at 55 from heart condition because they never took care of the physical side of their body. That's a very bumpy ride down the road of life. Uh, some do great in relationships, but they've never considered the career side. They've never put any emphasis in that. And that leads into a very bumpy ride down the road of life. This is not for you. One of the things that Paul admonished us to do is to grow in all aspects, in all aspects. So as we begin the new year, the best thing that we could do is to begin by deciding what are the big things in life? What are the priorities? We decide what those priorities are. We establish that so that we're not bumped this way and that way by everything that pops up. Once we do that, we begin to plan, counting on the Lord to direct us. And we put the big things in first, because if we don't put them in first, they're not going to be put in. And then we evaluate in the spokes of our life. Is there a spoke that we've left so underdeveloped or so overdeveloped that it causes the other ones to be underdeveloped that's creating a very bumpy ride down the road of life. And as you do this, I want to encourage you to do three things. First of all, you have to consider it. You have to evaluate, discern what that is. Think it through. Second thing, you want to write it down. You want to write it down. And then thirdly, you want to review it often. Keep coming back to make sure that you're on track. I don't know what 2017 is going to look like, whether it's going to be an incredibly prosperous year or or it's going to be something else. But I do know that we can have an effective year. We can have an effective year. And that's my hope for you. Make sense? Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for just the wisdom that you give Lord, help us all to evaluate our lives and discern where do we need to change? Where do we need to, to put some emphasis? How do, we, how do we grow and how do we develop and how do we be an encouragement? And so, Father, as we begin this year, pray that you lead us in discerning and defining what are those big rocks in our lives, those priorities. And then as we do that, Father, we will plan counting on you to direct us. And then, Father, we pray that 2017 is an effective year for each and every one of us as we accomplish your purposes for us in our lives and for us as a church. Help us to be the people of God that you want us to be and keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.